Hey guys, you're listening to episode 67 of the Finish Line Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today, we're talking to David and Stephanie Pulaski, founders of Renew World Outreach. Welcome to the show. My name is Keelan, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Cody. Today, we're talking to David and Stephanie Pileski, the founders of Renew World Outreach. Renew is a technology company and ministry which develops much of the core technology used in much of the missions world today. Renew tackles some of the most challenging aspects of getting the gospel to the most remote areas of the world, and they have some incredible stories about how God is working all around the world. Stay tuned to hear all they had to share. Before we get started, Do you ever wish you could find more people who are passionate about generosity, serving their communities, and advancing the gospel? Do you wish you could interact with some of our fantastic podcast guests? Well, we have a growing community on Facebook and LinkedIn where you can do just that. You don't need to have a financial finish line to join. All you need is a passion for glorifying Christ with whatever God's given you to manage. Look for the link in our show notes to learn more. And with that, let's get to the interview. All right. We're here with David and Stephanie Pulaski from Renew World Outreach. David and Stephanie, thanks so much for joining us today. So good to be with you. We're so happy to be with you. So why don't you guys kick us off just telling a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are today. Well, we have a fun story from our beginning. It's a engineer businessman meets artist missionary from the Dominican Republic. A wonderful love story where I went down and tried to get a missionary to fall in love with me, and it took her three years to figure out I was awesome. She (laughs) finally did, and we get married and have a couple kids. And then we start hearing from God that he wants us to reach out to a really remote people group in the Amazon. It just kind of came out of nowhere. Stephanie could probably tell you some of that story, because that's really where our story begins as far as Renew is. Well, it comes from Psalm 2. And it says, ask of me, it's the father speaking to the son, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. So it kind of dawned on us, wow, this is a wedding present for Jesus. What is a wedding present? When I go before the Lord, I don't want to stand there with empty hands and say, wow, you did everything for me. And what do I have for you? Just me. I said, no, I want to bring you a wedding present on that day that I stand before you. So I said, well, what does he want for a wedding? The nations. He wants the nations. And I thought, well, I don't have a nation. We need to get a nation. Like we have to find a nation. I want to bring him a nation. Now, what I understand from the Bible is that nation does not mean country. It means a people group with their own distinct culture and language. And so I don't know if you guys know this, but a lot of the easy nations are already taken. And the ones that are left over are a little more remote, a little more difficult, sometimes a little more dangerous. We felt called to go find our nation in the Amazon River area of Peru, and we took years and we kept going up that river and finally we found our tribe and it was an unreached people group and we visited them it was very very difficult to get to them and we finally met this chief and he could speak some spanish and i could speak spanish and so 
I saw tremendous, tremendous poverty. They were suffering. It was shocking to me. I'd never seen anything like that, even being a missionary in the Dominican Republic as I had been. And so I said to that tribal chief, what can I do for you? Just tell me something. How can I help you? He pointed his bony finger and he said, you give me God's word in my own language. And I said, well, I'll do my best. But I really didn't know how to do that. And I came home and I called up Wycliffe Bible translators. And we said, hey, uh, we found this tribe. Has anybody got the Bible? And they said, yeah, there's an elderly fellow. So we got a hold of him and we said, hey, give us the Bible. We found your people. And he said, it's a river that I don't know. I don't know your people. But he said, there's a problem. They can't read. And I'm not done with the Bible. It took this wonderful man 50 years of his life to make an alphabet, a language, a written language, and translate the Bible. And he wasn't finished yet. Not 15, 50. 50, five, zero, wow. right. So we said, well, what can we do? The chief made this request, and it was a tremendous challenge for us. What can we do? And he said, well, let's do the Jesus film. You go get your people, I'll get my people, and we'll meet in the jungle city, and we will record the Jesus film. So we had a problem. We didn't know what we were doing. We were kind of bumbling around. And we made the mistake of going during the driest month of the year where the Amazon River is very low. And the people were landlocked deep into the jungle. And there was no way to get a boat up there, a tributary. It was only a couple days before our trip. And David said, I'm going to ask God to raise the Amazon. And I said, well, that's an interesting prayer. And I mean, do you understand that that's 20% of the world's fresh water? And for the Amazon to go up, that is a lot of water. And David, I remember he said, well, I don't care. I'm going to ask anyway. And I thought, well, that, okay, you go right ahead. And it was about just a day or so before our trip, we got the news that the Amazon River had risen 20 feet and so I got on the weather, like on the internet, and they said, in 100 years, this has never happened before, that the Amazon has risen in June, 20 feet, two stories. So we were absolutely thrilled, and our people could come. We don't even know where it rained. It rained somewhere. And we brought our people. They were almost Stone Age people, and we brought them into the city and we had a Jesus film done, and we were so happy. And later, it was mailed to us. And we were jumping for joy for like two weeks. And then David said, uh-oh, we have a problem. How are we going to show the people the film? Like, they don't have any plugs out there. He's like, I should have thought of this. There's nowhere to plug it in. We were a little discouraged. And I was walking down the road. I was spending time with God one very cold day in maybe early December. And I felt like I heard this voice in my heart what do you want for Christmas? And I said, well, what I want for Christmas is I want this tribe to hear the Christmas story for the first time. And I felt this answer come back from heaven reverberating in my heart. And I heard the Lord say, this year, you and I want the same thing for Christmas. And so I didn't know how, and I knew it was impossible, but somehow our people were going to see the Jesus film. I didn't know how. And then on Christmas morning, David woke up and he just had this wild idea. He said, hey, I'm an engineer. I can make these solar DVD players as a kit. 
And then we can give them, there's like five Christians in the whole tribe. We can give one to each of them and they can go up and down their own rivers and reach out to all of those people who have never heard about Jesus. So that's exactly what happened. He made these solar kits and then we made an announcement. We said, okay, we sent messengers way up into the river and uh, lots of radio messages, come down. We have the word of God for you. So that chief came and there were 36 others that came down their rivers. They made a long journey. We built a halfway point in the jungle to receive them. And we showed the Jesus film and they were so excited. It was with their voices because they had dubbed it. And they said, wow, we've waited our whole lives to hear this story. They were just absolutely amazed and really excited. And we were like, wow, mission accomplished. The chief asked us to do this and we did it. But the bubble broke because the very next day, somebody came running in and said, hey, something's wrong with the chief. And David took off to go find out what was the problem. And there he was laying on a mat. He was very, very sick. He was dehydrated. His muscles were like all balled up and contorted and yeah, if you pinched him, his skin just stayed pinched. And yeah. there was a nurse who was there and she said, I don't even know if he can make it into town because he'll probably die along the way because he hadn't had any water in a couple of days. I think we were 12 hours from a doctor or an IV or something like that. And Keelan, we would have loved to have you with us, but you weren't there. You know, somebody who <laughs> understands medical things, we didn't know what to do except for pray. And we prayed and we prayed and we had rented a boat to take this heavy projector out there. And it came with a captain and a crew. So this captain walked in and he sees this guy lying on a mat and he's like, whoa, you guys are in big trouble because he's going to die and he's a chief. And wow, you're in big trouble. Now, the worldview of this tribe was that God made them, but the devil made everybody else in the world. And they had been hiding in the jungle for hundreds or maybe even thousands of years. Nobody knows how long that they are hidden in the Amazon jungle. And so we didn't know what to do. And we just kept praying. And we thought, oh, wow, 50 years of our Wycliffe friends work. It's about to go down the drain, you know. And so it was just a terrible moment. Our kids were with us. Everybody was looking Nobody knew what to do. And we just gathered around one more time. We were going to put him on a boat and take him those 12 hours. And we knew he wouldn't make it alive. He was barely breathing. His voice was just raspy. I had to put my ear like right down by his lips to even hear anything. And then we said, well, we're just going to ask God one more time. We gathered around and we just said, oh, God, have mercy. That's what I said. I don't know what anybody else said, but I said, God, have mercy. And this prayer went up and suddenly something happened to that guy. The power of God fell upon him and he jumped to his feet and he started wildly, wildly dancing. And we were so stunned. No one could even speak. No one could talk. He was just wildly dancing. And he went up to one of the tribal guys and he said, praise him. He just healed me. And the guy kind of tried to make a little clap. But he said, no, this is how he wants to be praised. He's just wildly leaping before God. And then that voice that had been so raspy was powerful, like his voice had been. And he just said, this Jesus 
did not just come for the Hispanic. He did not just come for the white man, but he came for our people too. And so instead of the story going up and down the river that we had killed their chief in the jungle grapevine, the gossip column, the news that went up and down the rivers to all the different villages of this tribe, Jesus came for our people too. And the people started saying, we want Jesus, we want Jesus. And that was So that's what launched Renew because I realized I could start making solar power DVD players. So I started making solar powered Jesus film DVD players that I could give to the indigenous and then they could take them up and down their rivers and show that story in the heart language of the tribes. Stephanie and David, what an incredible story. There's so many things I'd love to just dive into and hear more about. But one of the things I'm most curious about is how did you know where to start when you originally felt that calling for the nations and you just knew that you had to do something? You said you went to the Amazon River. How did you come to that conclusion? (laughs) That's another wild Long story that's amazing, where we'll try to give him the short version, right, love? I had a friend who's a missionary down there in Peru, and he grew up in Peru, and he wanted to go back to the area where he grew up as a missionary kid and where his dad had had quite an impact. And I said, well, let me go with you. And so I was taking this trip with him to go and trace his steps as a missionary kid. But before I left... Stephanie wanted to give me a love note, right? Yeah, I thought, note. wow, he's Because we're crazy about each other. 30, yeah, we, we still <laughs> two like years, each other. We still like right. each other, too. And so I said, oh, I'm going to write him like a really cool little note, like a little love note. I'm going to put a, and seal it. And so he was getting ready to go. And we had two little kids at the time. And so I shut myself in a room and I started writing. I said, oh, this is so dumb. He knows I'm crazy about him. So let me give him something that will strengthen him in God. So I take my Bible, I opened it up, and I opened it to Isaiah 43. And it said, fear not, I've redeemed you, I've called you by name, you're mine. Basically, it says, when you go through the river, you won't drown. When you go through the fire, you won't be burned. And the strangest thing happened to me. I started writing those words. (sighs) I hope people believe me, but it was as if in my mind's eye, like a big screen came down in front of my eyes and I had a vision and it was something I didn't understand. I saw David sitting on a bench in Peru trying to make a decision and this vision had no audio and I didn't know what was going on. And he was like asking some question and he held up his Bible and opened it up looking for something and then In the vision, he opened to Isaiah 43. And then he was like, Lord, if you're really telling me this, he took the letter out of his pocket with the seal on it. He said, I must see these words in this letter. And so he tore it open and it said, Isaiah 43, fear not, I've redeemed you. I've called you by name, you're mine. When you go through the river, you won't drown and the fire, you won't be burned. So she hands me the letter I hadn't left yet. So she hands me the letter. She said, well, read this when you get there. And off I ran, you know, to get to the airport. And then we're traveling and trying to go through Lima, Peru. And I forgot all about the letter. And a couple of days into the trip, I was sitting in a little church where he had this missionary friend of mine had had a relationship his father had years before. And I was sitting next to a young man and just asked him where he was from. And he mentioned a place called Iquitos, Peru, which is a river 
city right by the entrance to the Amazon River. And as soon as he said that, I felt the Spirit of God inside me say, go there. And I went, I'm on a mission trip. You know, you want a mission trip, you go with the people, you know, dance with the one who brung you. You don't just disappear and go off into the middle of the jungle. Could I say something about David also is that he's the guy everybody wanted on their mission trip because he ends up carrying all the suitcases. And if anybody (laughs) argues, he like makes everybody happy and everyone gets along. And so the leaders always, and he wasn't the leader of this trip, but they like to have him because he makes everything kind of flow, right? So I was thinking, is that really you, God? And so I got out my Bible and I said, well, if it is, talk to me. And I opened it up to the scripture Stephanie just quoted to you, you know, where you go through the water and you won't drown, you go through the fire and you won't be burned. And I said that down and I went, well, Lord, if it's really you, I remembered I had Stephanie's note with me. And so I pulled out her note. I said, I need a real confirmation. Let it be in this note. And so exactly what she saw before we left played out. I opened it up. It was a confirmation. You called me on the phone. Oh, that's what I did. And you said something really scary just happened to me. And I feel like I might have to get on an airplane. He didn't speak Spanish and travel 700 miles by myself. I don't know what to do, but remember he hadn't vision. I didn't tell him what had happened to me. And I just said, go, how much more confirmation do you need? Just go, go, go. That's what happened. And so I told one of the leaders of the team and he said, I'm coming with you. And I said, you are? And he said, I just got a phone call from one of the prayer leaders at my church. And she said, I was praying for you. And I saw that God was going to open a window and you were supposed to jump through it. And this must be the window and ended up the whole team changed directions. We left one person to go visit people and we went to the jungle. And when I got to the jungle, I met a man who handed me a picture of a remote people group that he said existed. And a lot of people said that the picture wasn't even real, that that tribe wasn't there. And that was the tribe that we ended up pursuing. Well, that is another pretty incredible story. And it is so encouraging just hearing you guys talk about these kind of things that you've been through, because it is such a testament to walking with God and just trusting Him for one step at a time. And we started this podcast about generosity, and so many other themes, I think, have come over and over and over that are so deeply tied in. And one of the strongest themes is exactly what you guys are talking about, which is this concept of trusting God for one step at a time. He has the whole picture in his head. That's right. We don't need to have the whole picture in our heads, but we need to depend on him to just show us where to put the next foot. And I think that's where all of the joy in life is in walking with God in that kind of an obedience is, you know, one step and then see where he, you know, has the next step go. And There's all kinds of people listening to this right now who are in all kinds of different stages and phases and businesses or ministries or different things. That's going to look different for everybody. But I think we are all called to that same kind of obedience. And I love when we get to hear stories like that, just like what you're sharing, because that is real. And it's so easy to forget that God can work like that, Mm -hmm. even when we've seen it in our own lives to forget that he works like that and to have to relearn it over and over again. So 
it's so encouraging to hear how he has worked like that in what you guys are doing. So I'm curious now with that kind of a foundation, tell us how Renew came about from there and how God kind of started to put together some of the pieces. Well, I ran into a dilemma in the Amazon, like Stephanie mentioned, and I realized I'm an engineer. I mean, I studied at Georgia Tech. I like building things. I can use some of these gifts that God has given me and the education I have and even my business background to answer those problems. So I started inventing solar-powered devices to help my tribe reach their people. It started with DVDs, but that little seven-inch screen was too small, so they wanted something bigger, and then I did solar-powered televisions. I was kind of bulky, and then finally these little projectors came out, and I started making for them solar-powered projectors so they could show the film to a whole tribe all at once. It was really fun. But then Billy Graham heard about it, and then Jesus Film, Campus Crusade, and crew and other folks, they're like, well, we want those. So I started, I was filling all my time and eventually it so consumed all I was doing and all the kids in our youth group were soldering and bending plastic and packing things into backpacks. And it was like Santa's workshop. It was just fun, but it just got too big. And I sold my business. I left everything I was doing. It's kind of like this event ruined the life I once knew, or maybe I was ruined for my life I once knew. And I shifted to, I opened a for-profit business and it's a creative idea. It was a sustainable ministry. What if I thought, I know how to be a businessman. What if I could start a business, but it's really a ministry, but it sustains itself and I don't have to ask for money. And that's how it started. It launched out and then the equipment itself sustained me and all these young people as we started to build equipment for various ministries. So when he's talking about equipment, one of the things that he invented was a solar-powered projector system that fits in a backpack. So, it's like a movie theater that fits on your back. Yeah, and so like somebody got a hold of one of his handmade ones and went to Zambia and got lost for a couple of years. A tribal guy with this backpack on his back. It wasn't very heavy, right? It was no. Uh, before that, it was three, four hundred pounds. And this was maybe fifty pounds. So he's got this 50-pound backpack at that time. And when he came back, he said, you know what happened to me? I don't know how many people saw this in unreached Africa, but I do know that 18,000 people received the Lord after seeing that film. And he rigged up like a microphone to it at that time. So there's a movie and a microphone. And so one person could like climb a mountain into Tibet and did and just be there for years recharging and they would have a sound system and a movie to play. And then David started making these solar audio Bibles, and that took off. There's 2,000 Jesus films now available, 2,000 languages, and probably almost 2,000 audio Bibles as well that are available. Uh, David, hearing a little bit more about how all this came together, it reminds me of last time we spoke, we talked about how the body of Christ coming together to use their unique talents and giftings for God's glory, so powerful. And that's another recurring theme that we keep hearing about. And just the two of you really demonstrate that complementary skill sets and just the ways that you have worked together to reach people. And I think on a macro level with the global church, that is happening at an accelerating pace. And it's just really exciting to get a little download of that every time we have a conversation like this. And I just 
want to dive into a little more about how not only your team collaborates internally, but you mentioned multiple other ministries that you partnered with, Wycliffe and Jesus Film, among others. How did that all come together? How did you make those connections? And what role does that play in furthering your work? It probably started with need. There's a group called Faith Comes by Hearing, and they were using our projectors, and they were experts on solar-powered Bibles, solar-powered audio players. So they offered us free. They said, here, you can have all of our circuit boards, all of our intelligence that we've learned over the last five years in, in developing solar-powered audio players. We can only put Bible. That's what we do at Faith Comes by Hearing. But you can put discipleship training materials and other necessary things on these devices. So they shared that with us. So then we started making a whole nother tool that we could add to our package. Well, then folks wanted that. And more people wanted, they put them together. They'd show the film and then they'd follow up with the audio scriptures. So like our tribes would do that. And then other groups wanted to know how that worked. So we would share what we learned with them. And then they would share with us what they knew. And from that, a knowledge base and a deep trusting relationships grew to the point now we probably have 400 active partnerships and maybe 2000 groups that we work with. So it's very diverse from the Baptists to the Pentecostals to ministry and organizations to that one missionary who's finding his way out to a remote tribe. So basically, we don't do anything without partnership. Anything. Yeah, because we're making tools for other people. That's kind of our space. Is How can we help you take the gospel where it's not? How can I use my engineering skills that God gave me to innovate and come up with ideas that maybe you don't know about that you could possibly try and innovate in the field to bring multiplication to your impact to make Jesus famous where he's never been known before? And that's kind of our sweet spot. And that's where we've been partnering with people. We just serve them. Yeah. And I love hearing about all the partnership going on in the ministry world right now because it is accelerating the work at such an incredible pace. And we have heard that theme over and over. We have been fortunate to have a couple guests on the show that you mentioned back on episode 36. We had Morgan Jackson uh, from Faith Comes by Hearing. And on episode 45, we had Josh Newell from Jesus Film. And on episode 49, we had John Chestnut from Wycliffe. Uh, if anybody wanted to dive in a little bit deeper on what those ministries are doing, all very integral into this network and partnership community that you guys are talking about. Mm -hmm. As kind of the technology experts yourself, as far as the missions world, I would love to just kind of take a minute to describe what the current technology landscape looks like. You guys have mentioned several different devices that you guys are working on, but maybe you could walk us through kind of an example, either theoretical or a real example of what that looks like in reaching a new people group, and even how kind of different ministries will work together. Well, a good example of that is something that American Bible Society and Jesus Film and Faith Comes by Hearing, they've joined together in a partnership, and they call it end-to-end. -end. And end-to-end -end is taking a projector system, a mobile movie theater, and it tends to be my equipment, and they take it to a location, say Africa, for example, and they show a Jesus film. And from that showing, in heart language, there's a response. 
from the indigenous, the nationals there. Many of them may have never heard about Jesus before. And so there's those responders that come forward, the hands raised maybe in our culture. But then came a second challenge. And that challenge was, well, what do you do with those people? You know, the Apostle Paul isn't quite around there yet. There's not an established church to plug them into. What do you do? Well, in steps, faith comes by hearing and audio players. So those audio Bibles then become a follow-up tool. And naturally, these oral cultures, people that learn by talking and hearing and sharing and with visualization, even dramatization, they learn that way, not by reading. Those people will gather around an audio player, solar-powered audio player, and listen to scriptures and discuss it among themselves. And the Spirit of God shows up. As they do that, as they talk about who Jesus is, and those groups have been proven that within, say, six months, they double in size. So the technology is playing an important component to, for evangelism, it's been a tool. And then for the actual beginning or core of the follow-up, it's also being used as a tool for multiple church planting. So I know there is this fellow who used to work for Jesus Film, and now he works for Faith Comes by Hearing. His name is Luis. He's seeing something amazing in Brazil. He is a Brazilian man, and he is starting these listening groups throughout Brazil. And he just wrote to me. He said that this year he will start 17,000 listening groups. So this is across cities not just tribal people, not in jungles. These are educated people. These are wealthy neighbors that are getting together. And they're showing not just the Jesus film, but other Bible media. And then neighbors are sitting around, probably neighbors that wouldn't go to church, are sitting around in homes. They're starting little small groups. But 17,000 and almost on a daily basis, he's telling us, oh, he's sending me WhatsApp. It's amazing. It's happening now in Nepal. It's the most amazing thing that I've ever heard about multiplication, like close up where I know somebody and it's happening. And all I can say is, you guys, we can try this at home. These are things we can do. We can learn from others and we can disciple people also. Because Jesus said, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I told you. But how are they going to do that if they don't have, know, or understand his word? So whether they live in a jungle or a desert or next door to you, how are they going to do this? Stephanie, something I was wondering as you were kind of telling the story and even in what you just talked about is just moving in a direction. I'm really wondering, it takes a lot of listening and a close relationship with God to be able to look to him for guidance at every step of the way and continue to be obedient. And I'd love if you could share a little bit about what that process looked like. I know in my own life, there have been many times where I feel like I'm standing in front of 15 different doorways and I'm not sure which one to walk through and I have to stop and really seek guidance from God. And then other times I feel like I'm at a dead end and I have no idea what to do. And I'm wondering if that has been your experience or if it's really just been more straightforward for you. Well, that's a very good question. What I notice is that if I am spending a lot of time in the Word of God, if I'm reading His Word, that voice on the page becomes more and more familiar. And then if I'm filling my mind and on the screen of my mind, I'm not filling it with noise and being addicted to the news, 
You know what I'm saying? But I'm filling it with the thoughts of God. It just seems like it starts to jump off of the page and talk back to me. And then over time, it's like, oh, I think that might be him. So later when I tell the story, I know it was the Lord. A lot of times I don't. I'm not really sure. And I have to bounce it off of other people. And I have to ask, I think the Lord might have told me this, but I'm not sure. I don't go around saying, thus saith the Lord, but it's very clear that he talks to us. And it says, what gives me faith is that he says in his word, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so his voice comes to us in many, many different ways. And when David and I got married, I realized that we were hearing differently, but we were both hearing from God. David would get like this sense, like he would say, oh, in my knower, I know I just have to do this. And I would say, well, I can't trust my knower at all. I have to hear a voice. Unless I hear a voice, I don't really know if it's God or not. And he said, well, I, I'm not listening for voices. And so not an audio voice. Like not an audio. Yeah. I'm not talking about an audio voice. I have not heard in my ears that I can think of the Lord talking to me in my ears. But I believe that it's very important to be involved in his word on your own, not just going to church. And also, it's really helpful to practice with other people that you feel close to and kind of practice listening prayer. And then just ask him to talk to you and kind of try it out and say, I feel like I might be receiving this. Like what we do here is once a week we have a meeting and we just call it the whisper meeting. It's just called whisper because we just want to hear the whispers of God. And at those meetings, we pray for the nations. We pray for each other. We worship for long periods of time. And we just want to hear, is he going to talk to us? We want to align ourselves with heaven, with the thoughts of God. Yeah, it's not easy to do. And it's one thing to know that and one thing to actually practice that. I think that you guys are absolutely right. And it was interesting actually hearing how you each kind of hear from God differently. I would expect that we actually all probably hear from God differently and we all recognize his voice differently. And that just is a testament to how much of a personal relationship he has with each of us and how he cares about each of us to interact with us on an individual level in the way that we respond to best. So you guys have been through a number of different phases and iterations with Renew and different products that you've developed to meet different needs as they've arisen. And I'm interested to know how you kind of see the next phase of things in terms of what kind of needs are out there that are still to be met, what kind of barriers you see in the missions field today that technology may have an answer to. That's a great question because right now, more than 50% of the world would be considered restricted or creative access, meaning you can't just go there and distribute Bibles or preach on the street. Of course, China and India are a big part of that, but it's growing and it's getting worse. It's getting stronger. China is sharing its technology with all of their friends and there's more people watching. So even if you do have internet, it may not be safe to load gospel media. And so technology is helping to make it so that it doesn't have to be like the old days with Brother Andrew, where you fill your Volkswagen with piles of Bibles and sneak across the border. All it takes is one little micro SD card with the Bible on it, and one phone can share to an infinite amount of phones. 
we have devices, we have something called a light stream and it's a Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, wireless device where you can be in an airplane or in a submarine, but you turn it on and suddenly wherever you are, there is Wi-Fi, which doesn't mean the internet. It means whatever's on that little device can now be offloaded onto all the phones in the area. So people can download or stream just like you would do with Netflix or something. You can pick what you want, push a button and you can stream it or you can download it. And if you do, then you can share it with your friends. So whereas in the past, if there was restrictions, there was nothing you could do because you couldn't haul paper around. Now there's like this seamless, frictionless ability to virally spread the word of God, which in 2000 years has never been available. On top of that, there's about 7,100 languages, distinct nation languages in the world, and there's only 2,000 languages left to be translated. Those are tough languages, but they're saying by 2033, if we keep going well, those could all be done. So we're coming to a really amazing time where we have the Word of God coming to every language in the world, and through technology, we have a means of dissemination because in people's pockets our cell phone, and that device can be turned into a Bible. I want to mention that the device he talked about is called the Lightstream, and it's about the size of a little battery charger, and inside is a powerful computer, and it's big enough for a huge, huge library to be downloaded on that. And then when you turn that thing on, you can be in the jungle, the desert, a city, and not even have cell service, but it'll still send a message to phones and phones can tap into that little device in a pocket and they can download things. And so that's an amazing thing for restricted access nations. So online there's ways that, I mean, there's a group called Global Media Outreach and they'll have over a million times someone will push a button in a day that says, I listen to the gospel, I want to follow Jesus. And they're trying to find ways to connect them with disciples. They're just coming so fast. So online is an amazing way that people can personally connect with the gospel and then also with the church. And now offline is also coming up with means of uh, disseminating scripture across the planet. I want to say as a barrier that about one third of the world does not have access to the gospel. So it's not just that they've heard and they've decided they don't like that or they don't want to follow Jesus. They have nobody to tell them the gospel in their language about one third, about it's 29% of the world. Not only have they not heard, they don't know anyone. There's no Bible in their language. They have no access. There's no churches and there's no nearby believers. And what I see as a huge barrier is that only 3% of the missionaries are going to that one-third of the world, and only 1% of missions giving is going to that third of the world. And so I see that as a barrier. It's just ignorance, just that people don't realize that there's that many languages, that there's unreached people group. So we tend to keep hauling water to the sea and not bringing it to the desert. And so we at Renew, we keep trying to prioritize within our own hearts those who have no access, not just unbelievers, but people that don't have any other way to hear about Jesus. And I would love to say that to my listeners. Please remember those people, because you can do something, even in the U.S., 
There's a Jesus Film app. It's red and white. You can put it on your phone. And you can go into a Chinese restaurant and somebody who speaks Mandarin, who's never heard the Christmas story, can walk up to ask for your order. And in about, I don't know, three seconds, you can send them the entire Jesus film in their own language of China. It's amazing. And any grandma can do that. I did not mention that David's really good at technology, and I am really not And so I'm speaking to all the moms and grandmas out there in grocery stores. You can do this too. I think it's really cool how you've over and over identified a need and then identified a solution and then taken action. And I'm sure it wasn't overnight in many of these cases, but you've created some really, really cool solutions to real problems that the missions community has had over the years. And I'd love to hear some of your favorite stories about how your work has actually impacted real people. So there is a tribe in South America that is spread out over more than one country, and I'll just call them the Y tribe. And they are famous. You're talking about the skull splitters? Yes, they're famous That's what for their having, neighbors call them, and there's a reason. They have killed more people than any other tribal people in South America. They're vast, and they have like five dialects. And their name actually means the people within their own dialects. So this woman that I know, she became a Bible translator, and she got the Bible into one of the dialects. And she married this fellow, I'll call them Paul and Beth, and David and I happened to be at their wedding. And it was a beautiful thing. It looked like something from heaven because she was painted like a tribal person. And there was over a thousand tribal people in this wedding. It was just absolutely amazing. And they were very excited to get our audio Bible because she had translated the New Testament and now she could put it on a device that they could actually hear in the jungle. So after the wedding, they had this big party with the tribal people that she worked with and a big baptism. And the husband, Paul, was baptizing people in the river. And suddenly, five warriors walked out of the jungle, and everybody was terrified because they identified them as the most dangerous of those people of the Y tribe. They call them literally the skull splitters because they're just known to kill everybody, to kill first and ask questions later. And so they walked into the, and they got into the baptism line and Paul was baptizing and he saw these people. Everyone was trembling and he didn't know what to do. Well, so they, they had their poison darts yeah, on, they had their, on their poison little darts. <laughs> and so when they got Don't to him, both. he's like, they wanted to be baptized. They didn't even know what it was. And so he was like avoiding their poison darts and he baptized them just because they were in line. And I wouldn't suggest do that at home. I'm just saying that's what happened. So. Afterwards, they tried to talk to them through the dialects, and they realized that they lived about 10 days' walk away, and they'd walk through the jungle for 10 days. And it turned out that 40 years before, a missionary had gone to their tribe and had said, we want to tell you about the Son of God. And the skull splitters 40 years before had said, leave or we will kill you right now. And so the missionaries did. But now years had passed, and there were some younger people that remembered that. And they walked through the jungle, 10 days, they get to this place, and they're like, tell us about the Son of God. This is 40 years later. 
They spoke to them and gave them a ride halfway home in an airplane. And then the five warriors said, please come and visit us. So this young, newly married couple got together some other people from the Y tribe, and they said, well, let's get on a plane and we'll go as close as we can. And there was some kind of clear area in the jungle. And they said, we're going to go see those people. So I think the pilot was terrified. He dropped them off. And the problem, the reason the pilot was so terrified is because right before that, 46 gold miners had gone into that area and they had all been killed. Illegal gold mining. Illegal gold miners. This tribe had killed them all. And so Paul and Beth and a couple of the Y tribe went in there. The pilot said, I'll be back in a week or 10 days or something. And he left. And they were standing out in this clearing. And they said, well, yeah, Lord, help us. And they heard a noise, and when they raised their eyes, they were surrounded by 300 warriors who were completely naked except for loincloths, and they were wearing iPads, iPhones, and the clothes of the gold miners that they had just killed. And so Paul was, oh, they were just terrified, and they just looked up. And so he tried to be funny, and he got his camera to take a picture, like a flash, and that scared them, and they raised their spears, and they were about to kill them. And my friends just said, into your hands I commit my spirit. They were expecting to die right there. Suddenly someone yelled, don't shed blood in that language. And the five warriors ran in the middle, and they said, these are our guests. Do not kill them. We invited them. And they brought them into this huge roundhouse. We're talking about 300 people and their families. And this fellow, he actually had a GoPro on his head. Day and night, they preached the gospel. And the people listened. And he said, God came to the Y people. Because the Y tribe means human. God became human. And they started listening. And these people began to repent. And they said, oh, we've killed people. Oh, no. Oh, no. They would stay up all night telling their testimony, singing their sins, hanging back and forth, swaying in their hammocks, telling each other what their sins were and giving their lives to the Lord. And then the last message was, Paul said, God has a beautiful roundhouse for you in the sky, for the Y people. And Jesus has gone ahead to prepare it for you. And he'll come back. And then they had this enormous baptism. We it's actually have video footage. We have video footage. It, it's just absolutely some of the most, most beautiful things thing I've ever seen. Ever so our audio Bible, then he went back and he took it into a group of the same tribe. And they stood there for 24 hours without sitting down or laying down. They stood for 24 hours to honor the word of God. They listened to Matthew through Revelation. And then at the end, they just started weeping. It's gone. It's gone. God's word in our language is gone. And he said, no, it's not gone. It was David's audio Bible. He said, just put it in the sun, charge it up, turn it on again. This is yours. This belongs to you. And it comes from this book. And he held up the Bible, the written Bible. And one of the chiefs said, I am so hungry for those words that I could eat those pages. And so that beginning happened in 2012. And now I want to say that tribe is carrying the backpacks all over the jungle to their own people. Mm -hmm. They're missionaries. Now. They are missionaries that 5,000 of them have seen the Jesus film. 
And there are now more than 6,000 believers among them, and they have 25 churches within a radius of six days on foot. So that was a wonderful partnership and a very exciting thing that we're involved in. Yeah, what an incredible picture of God in His own timing using so many different people and so many different parts of that story to reach that nation. And I'm sure that there are countless other stories like that happening all over the world that we're not even aware of, but God is. And one day we're going to get to hear all of those stories. But I'm so grateful for every time that we do get a glimpse into what God sees probably every day. Well, David and Stephanie, this has been such an encouraging conversation. And with everything that you guys have seen and been through over the years with Renew, I'm curious for what you see coming on the horizon in the next five to 10 years and what you're most excited about. Well, I look on the horizon and I do read the news in the family and I'm trying to ship things across the planet and I work with all these different countries that manufacture and it looks really, really dark and praying about it and asking God about it. The scripture that I get over and over is an Old Testament scripture and it goes like this. Darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people. And it's like there's an insanity on the planet. And I love the next word is but. And then there's a promise that comes like what's going to land on the backdrop of this darkness that's around the planet. He says, but I will arise upon you and my glory will be seen over you. And it says that nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And then it encourages, scripture encourages you to lift up your eyes and look about you. Like there's something that God is doing in this hour that is unprecedented. In 2000 years, you know, God gave us this mission, the great commission to take the gospel to every tribe, to every ethnos, to every language group in the world. And for the first time in 2000 years, it's actually going to be possible to deliver to them the words of heaven, the word of God in their own language. And there's a means of dissemination. So I think the question really about the hour we live in is why were we born, each one of us, whether we're a doctor or an engineer or a financial analyst, like why are we born now to this hour? What is our place in this time in history when the world seems dark and people are getting lost in it, but God is promising us that the light of his word and the hope of heaven is going to come on the earth? I wanted to dig into one component that you mentioned about your ministry and just the nature of being a sustainable ministry financially. I'd love if you could just share a little bit more about what advantages that has brought, what challenges that may have brought. Well, anyone who's been a business owner knows that those first three to seven years of starting a business, it's not freedom. Like, I'm going to have my own business, then I can be free. <laughs> That's a hard first few years. So those first four, five, six years of building sustainability, you build up debt and you have to build up your clientele and have enough movement to actually sustain you and your folks. So I did that for those years and I finally became sustainable. We were in the black. I didn't have to ask for funds. It was working really well. 
then I ran into a dilemma. And the dilemma was, what about the skull splitters? You know, how do they get their Bibles? I have to go ask the American Bible Society and they can't donate to a business. I kept hitting a wall when I was trying to partner with people who wanted to help people get the word of God or hear about Jesus. So after about five years, I took what was a really valuable multi-million dollar business that was sustaining us and being used to spread the gospel. And I gave it away to a nonprofit with a board of directors. And from there, we doubled in size and moved to the Wycliffe Bible Translators Campus and added a bunch of people and our impact. It spread in a multiplied way at that point when I changed the format. But the interesting thing is, I think we're really unusual because we're still 80% self-sustained. And the other 20% is it's expensive to build new tools and engineer new equipment. And so people oftentimes are helping us on that side so we can develop um, new technology to meet the changes and the needs in the field. People also help, like, for example, for Ukraine, we have these solar audio Bible flashlights. And so sometimes people say, oh, I really want to help Ukraine. They need light and they need the word of God, spiritual light. And so they order them and send them. And then another ministry comes and says, we'll carry them in our suitcases. And then another ministry meets at the border and says, we will distribute them. We're one we, piece we of set the a pie. whole department up just for programs. So that would be what we would call a program, which means the chaplains on the front lines in Ukraine have come to us and said, we need a couple thousand of these solar devices that can charge our phones, give us light because we have no infrastructure and have the word of God on them. Please help us. And now because we've jumped from profit to nonprofit, there's folks that can donate towards that. And then we can help manage the program, collect all the analytics and report back to them that it worked. I think it's amazing that, Although what you were building for those early years, getting to sustainability and something really beautiful, the act of fully giving that, surrendering it to God and saying, I trust you to use this. He just multiplied it from there and used it in ways and gave you resources that weren't accessible without hurting scares. Yeah, it almost scared us. When you give to the point where it's almost frightening, where you have to have some faith involved where you have to pull your young kids together and go, oh, we're going to mortgage the house to try to build this new tool. And if it doesn't work, we're probably going to have to live in a rental somewhere. And the kids go, come on, dad, you know, we have to do this. And we all pray together. When you get to a point of giving where you have to risk something, that's when you see the windows of heaven open. That's when miracle after miracle happened to take care of what was already in God's heart. That's where heaven and earth collided and his kingdom came. And it's been amazing just to see the, the hand of God, the resource of God take place and meet us in those crisis points. There is no shortage. No. The Lord is our shepherd and we are not in want of anything where he provides for his own. There's a river of provision. It comes out of heaven. And when it deals with bringing the knowledge of his son to those who have never heard, there's more than enough. That's right. Isn't that so true, though, that the act of giving, which is really what our whole podcast is founded on, is the very thing that lets us see God work? Because it's only when we put 
enough on the line that God has to move that we really get to see him in his full element. And I think that it's very easy, and I see this in my own life all the time, wanting to see God move without anything at stake. And whether it's through some kind of act of generosity or giving materially, or in just putting ourselves into circumstances where God has to move, that's where we really get to see him move. And I mean, you guys have shared countless examples of that, as have many on this podcast. But I think it is such a critical part of generosity. And I think it is really easy to think that a generosity or giving is something that we're supposed to do. But what we have learned, and I know Cody would say the same, is that generosity is one of the strongest tools to actually bring us into God's presence, to allow us to see and experience Him, rather than like we're earning something. It's giving God the opportunity to work. And what you did in giving the ownership of Renew to you know a nonprofit foundation and with a board and giving up control of it is a perfect example of that. I just love how God works, and we have seen that over and over. There's a scripture that goes, if you try to find your life, try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you'll lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. It's an offer from heaven. It's an offer from God himself saying, if you really will lay down your life, I will meet you there. And there is no lack. I think that's what we've learned is that it's all in our head. There just is no lack when it comes to the kingdom of God. He has enough. Yep. I've thought about that same scripture, and I think the first few times I read it, I imagined some heroic moment where I lay down my life for a loved one. And what I'm learning as time goes on, that every day, it's just, how can I give today away to God? How can I be used today for God's purposes, rather than pursuing what my heart naturally inclines towards. And that lesson has really deepened my own personal faith, and it sounds like it has for you as well. Well, guys, as we get to the end of the episode, I did want to leave some time for our manager's minute. We like to end every episode with one practical action our listeners can take to step into their role as stewards and manage God's wealth wisely. So, David and Stephanie, do you have a suggestion today for our listeners? Sure. I think the scripture in my manager's minute is that we're God's workmanship and we're created for good works. And it says that he prepared them ahead of time for us to walk in them. So my thought is, what's yours? I mean, I left my business. I risked to see people come into the kingdom of God with a tribe. My challenge to you would be, what is the workmanship that God created you for? And I have some ideas that just have four. I have many things that someone like myself could do. One is we brought it up earlier was the Ukraine. The chaplains are asking for various tools to help them that this solar powered audio charging station Bibles that we call them torches. I was with an African leader last week and there's a man who's a father of missions in Africa and he's bringing together leaders from every country in Africa and they have a goal which is to reach every language group in Africa and there's hundreds and hundreds of unreached regions and dozens and dozens of unreached language groups there and they need various tools they need SD cards they need training packages 
They need this online and offline methodologies for distributing the Bible. They need paper Bibles. There's great needs. They're willing to support their families, raise their own funds, but they just need a boost with tools and transportation. That's two. Three is the deaf community is the largest unreached people group in the world. And there's a handful of really good deaf ministries that are caring to try to reach the unreached deaf all over the world. And they would be a great place to jump in and share what you have, not just financially, but in other ways too. And then the last one, the fourth one is, it's just a suggestion, but find a group that's going to unreached. Like Stephanie said, there's only just a couple percent of monies. I'm even pennies out of a hundred dollars out of all church monies are going toward unreached people, people who don't know about Jesus. So my suggestion is jump in with them, make friends. I have a friend named John Hanger and he started up six successful tech startups. And instead of starting a seventh, he jumped in with this group. That's an artificial intelligence group, and they are harnessing artificial intelligence to speed up translation to unreached people groups. So what a creative way to use the skills that God has given him. So what I would say is something you can do tonight. Download that Jesus Film app, whether you're a student, whether you're young or old, put that on your phone, and then remember that the world has come to us. Our cities are full of refugees. You probably go to the store and you see somebody with a head covering, with a hijab. If you live in a city, you hear different languages. It's the simplest thing to walk up to somebody and say, what's your language? And look for it on that app. If I can do it, anybody can do it. And then find their language and shoot it to them in a text on their phone and play it for a second. And they just say, that's my language. I didn't know there was a movie in my language. And they have the whole, through a text, they have the whole Jesus film, the whole story right on their own phone. And they have it right on their own phone. And it will take you about five seconds. And then they can contact you later and you can contact them. So that would be a practical thing. So you too can be a missionary right here in the United States of America. Yeah. Thank you so much for those ideas. And very practical too. It's things that anyone listening can go out and get involved right now in some of these efforts. David and Stephanie, how can people who want to learn more about what you're doing at Renew World Outreach, find more information. They can go to our website and it's renewoutreach.org. That's uh, renew and then the word outreach, O-U-T-R-E-A-C-H.org. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us tonight. What an incredible story to just walk through the roller coaster of a life that God has brought you through. And I'm sure he has plenty more to do through you. And I'm excited to see what he does. But thank you for giving us your time tonight to share a little bit with us. So good to be with you. We really enjoyed the conversation. It's like oxygen to think about the works of God. So this has been very exciting for us just to bring to mind the things that God has done. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line, the finish line movement, or anything else you've heard on the show today, we would love to hear from you. And now I have a quick question for you. Do you know someone who is living a life filled with generosity, purpose, and mission? If so, we would love to talk to them. They don't need to have a financial finish line, and they don't have to have all the answers. They just need a heart to steward God's wealth to the best of their ability. If you know someone like that, we would be honored if you would connect us. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. 
Finally, if you want to find any references or links from today's show, you can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 67. That's all we have for today. We'll see you next time. 